18. How many of you have been enjoying the going through Abraham's life again? You know, more in detail than just going through the Torah portions throughout the year, but being more in depth because, you know, he's the father of the faith. We're told he's our father outside of the Father in heaven, but, uh, you know, he, he, his journey, you know, we're on that walk with him. And then, you know, this is a walk. This is our journey with the Father. And when we see Abraham, we can relate to a lot of things that he is going through, the ups and downs, and now we got Echo. The ups and downs and the struggles he went through, the one day he's full of faith, and the next day he's doubting, not trusting. Amen. And how many of us have the same issue or struggle with that same thing? Amen. I guess none of you do. I must be alone. I do. Okay. A man of faith. You know, that's one thing. If you learned in Uganda, they were great people of faith, but they were great people of fear, too. There was always that opposite coming into play. Yeah, the extremes. And we go through those, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, honest with each other. We go through these things, and it, it don't disqualify us is a key thing. Sometimes we think because of what we go through, because of the situations we're in, it disqualifies us in God's kingdom. But in all reality, what we look and see as a disqualification is what qualifies us to be able to minister to people because we've gone through what they've gone through. We understand and sometimes when we minister to people and we spend time with them, they're telling my story. They're telling our story. Yeah, I can relate to that. I've been where you've been, and the only thing that has helped me to get through this is my relationship with Yeshua, and nothing else. You know, I've stumbled, a righteous man will stumble seven times, but he gets back up, according to Scripture. He don't lay down, he don't give up, he don't quit, even though at times we feel like it, but for some reason we're, we're inspired to get up and keep going, because we're not in this alone. So let's get into chapter 18, verse 1. And uh, we may camp along the way, if you don't mind. You know, just kind of walk and then camp. That's what nomads do, don't they? Just kind of, they're nomadic. And the thing about nomads, do they have a direction? Do they have a purpose? But we know Abraham has a purpose because of who his God is, who our God is. Everyone in this room has a purpose. <coughs> So Adonai appeared to Abraham by the Oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of the tent during the heat of the day. It's kind of interesting. The heat of the day, you know, the last time we see something similar is with Adam, and it was the cool of the day. And here it's the heat of the day. Now remember, he just came off of being circumcised. He's not too far removed from being circumcised. Him and all the men in his household, his son Ishmael, and all those servants being circumcised because that was what was in the last chapter, was it not? And um, so he's sitting there and all of a sudden what happens? He raised his eyes and looked. He lifted up his countenance. He looked it up. He looked up. Excuse me. And there in front of him were three men. They stood three men. And what we're going to learn in these next few verses and through this chapter is hospitality. How Abraham was hospitable to these three men. And then some lessons for us to learn to be hospitable with each other, with strangers, with each other, 
with family, whatever, because what tells us in scriptures in Romans 12, uh, 13, it tells us to practice hospitality. And we know that the qualifications of an elder or a bishop or whatever you want to label them, they were to be given to hospitality. That was one of the qualifications to be in that position. They opened their homes up. They opened their lives to help people in whatever situation within reason, of course. But, you know, it was to be practiced. It was to be dealt with. We were to be hospitable people. He raised his eyes and looked verse 2 again. And there in front of him stood three men. On seeing them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, prostrated himself on the ground. And he said, my Lord, it would be Adonai. If it was in the Hebrew, it would be Adonai. And that was a common thing to greet one another in that sense. You know, I'm your servant, so that makes you my Lord. Now, I know we would struggle with that personally. We walked up, hey, Bob, Adonai. <laughs> right? Because of our understanding of the terminology. It says, if I have found favor in your eyes, and that word favor is the Hebrew word chen, which can be translated sometimes as grace, as favor, sometimes transposed to uh, grace, those kinds of things. And he's asking this question, if I have found favor in your eyes. Notice it's his place, it's Abraham's place, but he's asking these three men, if I have found favor in your eyes. Are you willing to come and uh, let me minister to you? meet your needs at the moment. And he goes through uh, three things that he asks, and, and we'll get into that. But if I have found favor in your eyes, please don't leave your servant. In other words, don't pass on, don't keep going on your way, but I want you to stay here for a little while. Verse 4, please let me send some water for some water. This is the first requisite. Let me send for some water so that you can wash your feet. And then rest under the tree. So there's the second one. Rest under the tree. They have been on a journey. They, you know, we can only imagine what that landscape looks like. And we know that in those days they didn't have shoes like we did. More like what uh, Jeremy has open. To where they pick up the dust on their feet. And so it was a refreshing thing to offer them water to wash their feet. And how often have we seen that principle in scripture? Remember what Yeshua did with the disciples. The, last, the night of, before he was uh, crucified. He washed their feet. What does that symbolize when we wash one another's feet? Humility. Servanthood. I'm here and to refresh. I mean, how many of you have come home from a hard day away and we use this term, my dogs are tired, right? <laughs> and we put our feet in water to refresh them. Probably not too many of us. But think about it. And this was common. This was hospitable. The thing interesting about this that I overlooked a little bit ago is that these men, these three men, when they stood there, they were waiting for Abraham to invite them in, to come to them and invite them in. They didn't come knocking on his tent door, if you will. They waited. They stood there. This was a sign of their time that they would stand in front of him and then they would wait for Abraham to come to them and then offer these things. First the water... And then shade, you know, sit under the tree and rest. And now he goes on to offer them food. And I will bring you a verse 8, by the way. No, I'm sorry, verse 5. And I will bring a piece of bread. 
Now that you have come to your servant, refresh yourselves before going on. Just refresh yourself. You know, <laughs> uh, this last weekend I flew out to Anaheim, and so in between planes you think you can refresh yourself, huh? Especially when you walk those long terminals to get from where you unloaded to where you got a load, you know, and then by the time you get there, what do you want to do but just sit? And nobody brings you no water to wash your feet, does it? Maybe we need to start a ministry there. They step on your feet. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, it's, you know, there's something about uh, refreshing, giving refreshment to others. Not necessarily just water to drink, but inviting them into your home. Inviting them into your life is what he's doing. Inviting them in. And he saw them and they appeared before him and all of a sudden he's doing what was common for him to do in that culture. And we all have that kind of thing in our own homes, in our own Culture is how we do this, how we go about being hospitable with neighbors, with friends, with family, with even strangers. Because remember, the Bible tells us to entertain strangers because they may be angels or whatever. We never know that. Messengers. That's the Malak, messengers. And so, now it gives them a piece of bread, something to eat. And he doesn't give them food right away because they need to take a break and rest a little bit before you eat. Because it's more healthier to give your, after coming on a long journey, to eat a little, wait a little bit before you eat. Instead of just plunging right into the food. Because it can make you a little... <laughs> I remember one time a young man that was, uh, he would come to our Shabbat service. This was years ago when we were in Uganda. And him and his... Uh, housemate, his buddy roommate, they were walking home and they got arrested because of something that happened in the, um, what do they call those things, I forget, the little shops in this area of Kampala. And because they were young, they were in their 20s, early 20s, mid-20s, and they're known as youth, uh, some youth had been uh, vandalizing this shopping center because the landlord was not doing what he said he would do and take care of the place and so finally the people had enough they started torching the place started causing problems and these guys just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time they were walking home but because of their age because of they look you know oh you're guilty yeah exactly and a lot of times there they're profiling people because they want some money <laughs> That's why they do it. But they were thrown in prison. And, you know, a few days go by, and finally one, his, he has an uncle that can bail him out of prison. And that was the only way they were going to get out, his money. And uh, he was able to get out. He came to us and told us what happened. And so we got the money together to help. His name was Reagan to get him out. And for, he was there for a week when he was finally able to get out of prison. Hmm. Number seven. Oh, what did you do? And so they took his shoes. <laughs> but when he went to get his shoes, they were gone. But the first thing he did is they came to our house, which I was surprised he didn't go home. He came to our house. He just started stuffing himself because he was hungry. Because they don't feed him well in prison there. And then he goes home and he does the same thing. And the next Shabbat, we're wondering where he's at. What happened? He, said, he ate so much, he got sick. 
and he couldn't do anything for a while because they overage. Because he didn't have the understanding that you just don't do that. After you have been, quote unquote, on a forced fast for a few days, you don't just start stuffing yourself because it will make you sick. But he learned a hard lesson. <laughs> now, you know, I was thinking about the number 120, and I'm going to die, diverse a little bit. And you said we can only have 120 here? Where was the last time we've seen that number? 120? Yeah, the other room. Dax? Boy, huh? well, I don't know. I just find it interesting. What happened with that 120? It went out. Oh. Hmm. Nah, just saying. <laughs> you know, I think they had a, a barbecue or something. Something happened to their hair. <laughs> I can relate. They had hair? Yeah, they did, but not afterwards. <laughs> but you know, there was, you know, that that numbers are significant in scripture. And I just wanted to that that's a lamb I was chasing. We'll get back to the text now. Uh, back to verse five, and I will bring you a piece of bread now that you have come to your servant. Refresh yourselves before going on. Very well, they said. They replied. Do what you have said. It is as you say. That is a, a, another common Hebraic term. It is as you say. You know, when Yeshua was always asked, are you the Messiah, what did he say? It is as you say. Except for one time he did proclaim to be the Messiah. But most of the time he would say, it is as you say. You said it, so it must be, right? But it is as you say. So is he the Messiah in your life? Is it is as you say? Or did somebody else tell you he was and you haven't figured it out yet? Abraham, hurry. That's what I find interesting. He hurried. You know, he's recovering from circumcision. But he hurried. He didn't waste time. Abraham was a man of action. He always, when he knew something had to be done, he would do it. He hurried. And in, hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, three measures of best flour needed to make cakes. So there's the bread again. Abraham ran to the herd, took a good tender calf, and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. Now, you know, we don't, you know, time, how much time does it take to do all this? But they hurried. They did it without questioning. They did it without, well, let's pray about it. Now, sometimes when we don't want to do the right thing, we'll say, well, let's pray about it. We kind of use that as a uh, stopgap. Instead of just saying, you know, if it bears witness to you, do it. Just do it. Um, verse 8. Then he took courage, milk, and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it all before the men, and they stood under, and he stood by them under the tree as he. And that was another common thing. In that age, in that time period, when you had guests and they were eating, you would just watch and make sure if they needed anything else, you know, was, can I get you something? Can I get you some more water? Can I get you some more meat? Can I get you some more bread? He didn't eat with them. He just stood there and watched them eat. That was part of that hospitality. You know, making sure their needs were met first. Once again, back to the airplane, what did they, what did they tell you? If the oxygen mask drops down... 
What are you to do first? Put it on yourself first, then help your friend. Now, from a biblical standpoint, I've always struggled with that. Shouldn't we help them first? Right? I mean, that's just the way we've been kind of conditioned. But, you know, they say always help yourself first, and then help them. Because you can, if, you're not, if you're struggling to maintain air, how are you going to help them? But he stood there and watched them meet. And allowed them, you know, he, he was there to serve. He was there to serve. Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, there in the tent. And the thing about this chapter that I find in throughout Abraham's life is it's just conversations. If you really think about it. He's having conversations with the creator of the universe. Having conversations with his fellow man, if you will. Now, we believe, or we at least think, or understand that, is God not omniscient? He knows all things. He's all-powerful. He's um, everywhere. But notice he asks a question for Sarah. Remember when he came into the garden? Where are you, Adam? Of course, he knew where he was, but did Adam know where he was? Come on, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Always pay attention to the questions in the scriptures. There's more to there than we realize at surface value. <coughs> there in the 10, verse 10, he said, I will certainly return to you around this time next year, or at the time of life, some translations say, at the time of life. I like that phrase. At the time of life. It's the right time when it comes to life. The day we were born again, that's the time of life. The day we got married, the time of life. The day we had children, the, the time of life. Whatever it may be. I will certainly return to you around this time next year and share your wife will have a son. He's been waiting since that first conversation. I will make you a father of many nations. He's been waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. And now we're about 24 years down the road from that first moment. And we know when he rescued... Uh, I get a Kleenex from somebody. When... Uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. But he's been waiting for 25 years, roughly 24. And all of a sudden, he hears these words again. By this time next year, you will have a son. Sarah will have a son. Like, how many of us give up waiting for a promise from God? This is 24 years. And we know there was a hiccup along the line, and his name is Ishmael. He had just came back from rescuing Lot, and God comes to him and says... You're going to have a son from your own lines. Ebenezer will not be your heir. It'll come from your own lines. Next thing we know, Sarah gives Hagar to Abraham, and perhaps through Hagar we will have that heritage. And uh, it tells us that uh, Abraham wasted no time. 
and then we know we have Ishmael. Interesting. How many of us have had an Ishmael because we didn't wait on God or we misunderstood what he said and we thought that what Sarah said was the answer to the prayer and answer to the promise I've been, been believing God for and this must be the answer and, and not inquire of the Lord. Is this the way you want to do it? He just, okay. Wow. And so, you know, none of us are any different. We all struggle. Thank you, Brother, brought the water. Mm. Nice and cold. About this time next year, a set time at this season next year, I will return to you and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it. I jumped. I'm sorry. I jumped a little bit. I will certainly return to you around back to verse 10. Around this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah learned, heard him from the entrance of the tent behind him. And this is what she says. Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Sarah was past age of childbearing. So she laughed. Now Abraham laughed. When God told him back in chapter 17, he laughed. What's the difference? Why was Sarah rebuked and not Abraham? But there are different kinds of laughter. There are different laughs. Uh, we can laugh out of rejoicing. We can laugh out of mockery. We can laugh when we're nervous. Ever been around somebody and they're up here speaking, whatever venue, and every so often they just laugh during the message? That's generally meaning they're nervous. It's a nervous thing. There are different kinds of laughter and what it means is a different thing. And that's why we see the difference why Abraham wasn't rebuked, rebuked, but Sarah was, was because of what the laughter meant. Rejoicing on Abraham's part and maybe mockery or I, I just don't believe you. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. You know, and, and you can understand why she would think that way, why they would feel this way, because after all, She's 89, he's 99. And in our minds, I... Man, that, you're just too old, dude. But what does God say? What do we read here in the text? Why did Sarah laugh? Yeah. Why did Sarah laugh? Verse uh, 13, by the way. And ask, am I really going to bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too hard for Adonai? At the set time for it, at the time of life, at this season next year, I will return to you and Sarah will have a son. It's not an if. It's a will. I will. You will. Remember, in the, the gospel says nothing is impossible for God. It may be impossible for man, but nothing is impossible for God. But she denied it. Fifteen. I didn't either laugh. Hmm. It's kind of like the little boy with ice cream all over his face and his dad. You get an ice cream? Oh, no. It's not all over your face, but, you know. But we do that. And out of, you know, just a natural reaction to things when we are being uh, confronted, accused, or whatever, it's a natural thing to want to say, no, I didn't, I didn't laugh. <coughs> Thank <laughs> you.
She denied it. I didn't even laugh because she was afraid. And <laughs> in, a, in a few weeks, I'll be teaching on uh, chapters 20 and 21. And I find it interesting that Abraham, when uh, Abimelech asked Abraham, why did you do this thing? Why did you tell us she was your sister, not your wife? What have we done? And he says, well, I, I thought to myself, first mistake, <laughs> that there is no fear of God in this place. It's like Abraham. Why would there be fear of God in here and they really don't know the God that you know? Who's the one that should really have the fear of God? But it just shows us what's he did is up and down thing. But I find that interesting. <laughs> I thought to myself, <laughs> I could run with that one. Verse 16. The men set out from there and looked towards Sodom, and uh, Abraham went with them to see them on their way. Once again, a sign of hospitality. He's escorting them hospitality, excuse me, sending them on their way. He didn't just say, okay, see you later, you know how we do at the door. We'll see you, bye, so long, nice, come back when you don't stay so long, please. But, you know, he escorts them. And they did that in Uganda many times when they would, we would be leaving someone's house, they would push us, that's what they would say, let us push you to the gate or to your car. I said, well, you know, in our terminology, when we say push, we're literally pushing somebody. But that was their terminology, and they were very good at that. The Ugandans are very good at hospitality. I find them, they will go without a meal or two just so you will have a meal when you're invited to their home. But he would see them on their way, verse 17, and I should I hide from Abraham? I find this interesting, this, as the dialogue changes now. Should I hide from Abraham? Because here's the... The creator of the universe, here's the one who has been leading Abraham all this time, walking with him, showing him, appearing to him, being with him, guiding, directing him, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? These conversations, the Bible are full of conversations. Just basically simple conversations. And yet there's so much in these conversations we can learn and live our life with. And Abraham went to see them on the way. Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do inasmuch as Abraham is sure to become great and a strong nation? Remember going back, you know, those who bless you will be blessed, those cursed will be cursed. All families of the earth will be blessed. I'm going to make you a, a... uh, a, a father of many nations, and here, here we see that repeated. For, or he goes on, verse 18, as much as Abraham sure become a great and strong nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by him. He's just repeating what he's already told them. And sometimes we need that affirmation once again from the Father. We need to be reassured because in our day in, day out, and things don't seem to be working, things seem to be struggle, things seem to be hard. We need that reaffirmation to let us know He hasn't forgotten us. For I have made myself known to Him. Yeah, intimately. Made myself known to Him. 
He's wanting that for all of us. That He wants to make Himself known to us. How many of you ever asked, God, I want more of you? Remember that old song, More Love, More Power, More of You in My Life? Nobody? Yeah. I think somebody said today that, you know, He's given us everything we need. If we want more of Him, we've got to give Him more of ourselves. That's where it really comes from. But He wants to reveal Himself to us. And we have these scriptures here, the progressive revelation from Genesis to Revelation on who He is and how we are to approach this God, how we are to relate with this God, how we are to mingle with this God and interact with Him on a day-to-day basis, moment by moment. It's not just once a week. It's not once a month. not just during the feast days. But every day, I walk a journey with the creator of the universe who knows everything in between. You know, there's the birthday, and then there's the day of death on the tombstone. He knows the dash. We live in that dash. And that's where he's at. He's there at birth, he's there at death, but he's living with us in the dash. And it's kind of interesting that our life is summed up in the dash. When you look at a grave too, at a grave still. Interesting. But he's with us in the dash. He's not just there at the beginning, he's not just there at the end, but he's there from the beginning to the end. Make myself known to him so that he will give orders to his children. Notice the vote. Commandments, orders. And to his household after him to keep the way of Adonai and to do what is right and just so that Adonai may bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Wow. And then, you know, we know the importance of that in any family, what we teach our children, what we teach others, how we exemplify our life around others. But he says he knows that Abraham will teach his people. And you know, we get a little hint of that in chapter 19 when Lot invites the two men that come to check out Sodom and Gomorrah. He invites them in. We see some of the similar hospitality Lot did that Abraham, we read here with Abraham. So there was some of that. Maybe not exactly the same, but the basics were there. But it, once again it says, so that Adonai may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Hebrews tells us God can't break the promise. I think what gets us in trouble, I know with me personally, is that weight. You know, the weight. You know, when you pray to God and he says, yeah, no problem. We're good with that. Happy day. Or if he says no, well, okay, I didn't like the answer, but at least I got the answer. But when he says wait, hmm, how long? What do I got to go through while I'm waiting? You know, he tells us there in Isaiah, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The interesting thing about that Hebrew word wait means to serve more so than just to stand there, okay. You know, like you're waiting at a red light. You know, but it's more of a servant, like a waitress waiter. You're waiting on him. You're ministering to him. 
learning and growing and being prepared. Once again, part of the disqualification is what's going to qualify you. Because what does he do? Does he call the prepare or does he prepare the call? He prepares us. Because none of us are you know, perfect when he calls us to whatever it may be. Whatever ministry he's got you doing. The vision he's given us. Because remember, this started with a vision. And it's still a vision being played out. We get to read it. We get to see some of the highlights. We get to see some of the things that Abraham went through to help God for what God did to help Abraham fulfill the vision God has given him for his life. And even today, that vision is still being played out. Because we're part of Abraham's seed. So that vision is, if it's the vision of God, it's big. If you can do it, then it's not from God. But when he gives you a vision and you can, in no way, somehow, and it even brings fear to you to say, how can this be? Then you know it's of God. Because if I could do it on my own, I've got to support it on my own. And then it will probably die with me as well. Verse 20 says, Adonai, the outcry against, Adonai said, I'm sorry, said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so serious. So this is once again when I'm reading this, he's omniscient, and yet, look at the dialogue here. The outcry is so great, I will now go down and see whether their deeds warrant the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Hmm. Amazing. I find this amazing because, you know, we've been taught he's on mission, and he knows. <coughs> but what's going on here? What's about to happen in the preceding verses? What's about to happen? What's Abraham going to start doing? And negotiating. Did I hear bargaining? Barter? Okay. Intercede, maybe? And this is another principle for us. You know, next week, uh, when here, it's a part of interceding for, you know, you said marriages for the city, for the nation as a whole, for the world. Whatever it is that you want to be interceding for, the cool thing is, is the conversation that Adonai and Abraham are having. That Adonai doesn't blow him off. Eh, you know, eh. He listens to it. He hears him. He's heard the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about that. Here are two cities that are very wicked according to what we've learned and what we know about them. And he's heard the outcry and he's coming to see how serious the outcry is. Personalize that. When you're going through a serious situation, do you cry out? Do you cry out? Or do you try and think for yourself? Link to your own understanding. That kind of thing. Or there's one scripture I can't remember it said right off the top of my head, but it says, When I came to my wits' end. <laughs> Many of us have to come to our wits' end. 
before we turn and cry out. And he's up there just waiting for us. He's with us. He's in us. He knows what we're going through. He's waiting for us to cry out. Whatever the case may be. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he wants us to know him. To become intimate with him. To desire him more than anything else in this world has to offer. And be willing to suffer sometimes. May have to break off certain relationships. May have to settle for a particular position at this job right now and because he's got something down the road for you. But you got to get prepared. Not peppered, but prepared. But he desires us to cry out throughout scriptures if we need to. He wants us to intercede for others. He wants us to pray and supplicate and submit our prayers and requests known to him and pray for each other. He wants that dialogue. He wants that conversation. But many of us, you know, because we are ashamed of what we had just did, we're afraid to approach him because we might get whacked. But his discipline is so gracious. His discipline is so gracious. Now we know what happens to Adam and Gomorrah. Chapter 19 will reveal what happens to them. But now we begin to see how um, the conversation continues. Verse 22. The men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before Adonai. Abraham approached and said, Will you actually sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I'm reminded of the parable of the wheat and the tares. Maybe there are 50 righteous people in a city. In the city, will you actually sweep the place away and not forgive for the sake of 50 righteous who are there? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous along with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shouldn't the judge of all the earth do what is just? Man, I think there's a Hebrew word called chutzpah, which means you got some, you're bold. Abraham had some chutzpah here. Chapter 21 or what happened to the chutzpah. But, but he, you know, he's got this, man, you're the just judge of all the earth. And are you going to wipe out righteous people along with the... Remember, he, he's known the story of the ark. And Noah's day. I'm sure he's, he knows about that. And there was only the eight. And Noah was, you know, righteous in his generation. So Abraham is just playing on that and understanding. Will you wipe out 50 righteous people in a city of wickedness? Makes you wonder why he hasn't wiped out America yet, then, huh? <laughs> but the righteous is what stays his hand. Intercession, pleading on behalf of others. Notice he's not praying for revival for these people. Maybe they'll repent, you know, like Nineveh. There was an opportunity for them to repent. They did, but later on they went back to the same old story. 
and they were wiped out. Adonai says in verse uh, 26, If I find in Sodom 50 who are righteous, then I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Okay. He answers that. Abraham answers here. Now I who am but dust and ashes. You know, he's, he knows his place. He's just human. Have taken upon myself to speak to Adonai. What if there are five less than 50 righteous? He said, I won't destroy it if I find 45 there. He goes on, what about 40? No, I won't, no, for 40. Verse 30, I hope Adonai won't be angry with me if I speak. What if 30 are found there? He said, I won't do it if I find there, find 30 there. So he's decreasing now. <laughs> Makes you wonder what Abraham really knew about Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, he rescued Lot. And he told the king of uh, Sodom, you know, I'm not taking anything from you because I don't want you telling people you made me rich. I'm not going to tell people that. I'm not going to allow you to do that. He goes on to say, Thirty-one. He said, "Here now, I have taken upon myself to speak out any. What if twenty are found there? He said, for the sake of twenty, one destroy it." And then we finally get to the last point or the last time he asked, and it's the ten. Interesting. Started with fifty, forty-five, forty, thirty, twenty. Now ten. And Adonai says, "I won't destroy the city for ten." Well, we know the rest of the story. But he was able to rescue Lot, his daughters, his wife, and his wife, we know, turned to a pillar of salt as she looked back. It's interesting here is the conversation once again and Abraham's willingness to ask and intercede on behalf of Sodom more for the, the righteous ones hopefully living in there. Obviously there was none. But that kind of relationship that he had to be able to do that. The thing is, is that he's not uh, exclusive. All of us could have that same kind of relationship and intercede and talk to God like that. Remain humble, of course. We are not to be uh, brash, you know, brashful or, or arrogant in our request. But to know that he desires that kind of relationship for any and all of his children to be able to come to him, to come to the throne of grace in boldness in our time of need and ask for help in our time of need. He desires that for all of us. And we have the example here, we see that throughout the scriptures where others had gone to Adonai and asked for similar kind of help, interceding for others, or had God intervene on their behalf, even though in our minds I slap them. You know? They messed up. But once again, he who has no sin may cast the first stone. And be thankful that the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, desires this from each and every one of us. Verse 
verse 32 I'm about to wrap up. I hope Adam and I won't be angry if I speak just once more. I wonder if ten are found in. And for the sake of ten, I won't destroy it. And then he says, Adam and I went on his way. As soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Adam and I took time. He was in no hurry, but he took time to allow this conversation with Abraham to pass. And then when it was finished, he goes on his way and Abraham goes to his place. I find that interesting. That's relationship. That's intimacy. That is desiring a relationship unlike any other relationship we ever want. That the creator of the universe, the one who knows every star by name, he counts them and knows the number of hairs on our head, and that changes daily for me. <laughs> he wants and knows all pain, and yet he desires one-on-one -on -one with you. He desires you to conversate with him, to have a conversation with him, to intercede on behalf of others, to seek him, to have that outcry. If you need to cry out for help in your ever-present sight, in your, in your need, whenever that is, whatever it is, to supplicate, to make your request known unto Him, to become more like Him, to have that intimacy that you cannot have with anything else, anyone else, but Him and Him alone. And when we get that down, we will be more of a blessing to others than if we don't. Because we can go through the motions. We can go through all the all the motions, the emotions, but if we don't have a vital relationship, then really no good to anybody. Have you ever heard the term "so heavenly minded he's no earthly good"? You really know that's a lie. We need to be heavenly minded so we are earthly good. We really do. It's just this our concept that you know that term "holy," holier than now, and people have portrayed that and have cause people to shy away from people who talk about being holy. Leviticus will tell you, teach you how to be holy. It's pretty much what that book's about. Set apart. I'm not holier now. I'm not better than anybody else. But that's what that book's all about. This is how you live. This is what sets you apart. And that is holy. Kadosh. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Anybody have any thoughts, any comments? Any questions? Yes, David. Uh, appreciate the, the message and the focus on hospitality and stuff like that. I just had a question on verse 1 uh, when it says that Yahweh, Yehovah, Hashem, Yudhibah, and Abraham. Uh, and then it, later it, it, he addresses him slash them as out of mind. What's your take on that? Well, I, my take and what I believe is that is that is Yeshua in the flesh. Because you never see the belly of spirit, but he's Yeshua in the flesh. And later on, the understanding the term Adonai versus Yehovah versus Elohim. Uh, Adonai means the Lord's force upon the earth. 
Elohim also means the power of intensification of all the <coughs> So those terms are more than just titles, and that's what I think gets our minds messed up, is we look at them more as titles and then uh, attributes. And what, because remember the Hebrew names, Hebrew, their names really speak of attributes. Even Father speak of his attribute, the strength of the house. That's what Ab stands for. And is, you know, strong water. That's what he means for mother. And it's because they would throw the skins of the animals in water, boiling water, and it float to sticky stuff, and it was glue. So they would use it to glue things together, like tinnies and stuff. So she was strong water. And she also helped keep things moving. And so that's my take. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? No, I got that deer caught in the head. I love it. All right. Well, I'm going to stew the bread. Uh -uh, I'm sorry. Oh, back. I don't see. Uh, it should be noted uh, in the Hebrew uh, that Abraham did not, the word there is in your He didn't address it. He said, He says, I believe. So it's, it is like you say, sir. But it's, it's, it's a more, a more formal term. It's like Lord, but, but you know, but it's not Hashem. So there's a distinction in the Hebrew text. So he's seeing him as as greater than himself, but he's, he's you know, he's calling Hashem. Well, it's not out of the air. It's out of mind. So that's always he's Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.